From the oh-so-sweet Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another pee-picking episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Prices for fresh produce are predicted to rise rapidly this year. Are you ready to protect your wallet? I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll help you grow more of your own fresh food, this time focusing on sweet and delicious spring peas. Plus, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ridiculously rampant recriminations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you picking sweet treats through July right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, another special treat for podcast and terrestrial radio listeners only. We're going to talk about the Chinese New Year, better known as the Lunar New Year. And it's another way to try to encourage good luck for your garden this year. We're also going to tell you everything you need to get a bumper crop of peas. And we're going to talk to the field guides who are going to learn me about the reality of the symbiosis of black walnut roots. Woo! That's a lot to get over with or done with or cover or... Let's just take a phone call, 888-492-9444, 888-492-9444. Matt, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you? I am just ducky, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. And where is Matt pretty good? Uh, just outside of Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Stroudsburg or East Stroudsburg? Stroudsburg. Okay. Um, always try to keep those things straight in my mind, but I never will. All right. They're pretty close to each other. Yeah. So. I, well, sure. <laughs> one's, one's the east side. You know, maybe you're Correct. on the west side. I am. There you go. Upper west side. <laughs> great place to live in Manhattan. Yeah. All right. What can we do for Matt? So my question is, I wanted to start growing elderberries, and the only one that I could find at one of my local nurseries was uh, an ornamental lace leaf elderberry, hmm. and I was wondering if those berries are edible, since I know some plants that you buy as ornamentals, they say not to eat the fruits of. Well, it's a good thing you asked. Now, there's no chance you remember the scientific name. I do not. You know, it is Sambucus, but... Um, Correct. Yeah, but then the the second part. Um, yeah, the variety. I'm not sure, but it is like an, like I said, it's a, it was an ornamental lace leaf, and the leaves are like a purple color, almost like the same color as the berries. Well, it sounds actually. it sounds very pleasant. It sounds very good yeah. looking. 
Um, elderberries are very strange, although there are a lot of plants uh, in the world that are highly toxic uh, when they're unripe, but become edible when they're ripe. Elderberry is kind of a, a different thing. Um, unripe elderberries contain large amounts of a cyanide protagonist. Oh. So they can make you really sick if, um, it were, if you were to eat them. As the berry ripens, uh, the level of cyanide drops dramatically, but it is still not felt um, to be safe to eat the ripe fruit unless it's cooked you know, like to make a jelly or something like that. Okay. Uh, because that will also lower the level of cyanide. But, okay. you know, since you haven't, you know, all the research has been done with wild elderberries. Uh -huh. And um, almost all parts of the plant are toxic. Um, wow. The stems, the bark, but, you know, you're not going to go chewing into bark, right? No. I noticed the deer haven't been eating it. Well, see, that's always a good sign or <laughs> conversely a bad sign. Yeah, but they know. Um, cyanide is cyanide. Um, they can be made safe, but you have to be careful. Where did I read about this a while ago? I think the name of the website was, believe it or not, Wholesome children. And the woman who runs this site, you know, has two kids and a, a dynamic website with really well-researched information. And I was wondering the same thing. Um, so I, um, you know, I remember what she said, but it was also documented. This was all from research studies. And the bottom okay. line is they can be made edible, preferably not in even the most overripe form. Um, but if you make them into a gel, oh, and the seeds um, contain the most cyanide. Oh, okay. You know, if you can create a sieve yes. um, that gets the seeds out and then you process uh, the berry flesh, I think you'd mm -hmm. be good to go, but I want you to okay. read up on this. Now, did you fall in love with this plant, or do you want to grow a berry thing? Well, I like the plant, and I actually have since acquired a, a wild elderberry, and I was, and they're not too far apart from each other, and they both had fruits on them this year, and before I could even think about harvesting them, the birds got them anyway, so I'm going to have to buy bags for them to put around the fruit clusters. Or just feed the birds. I do. I feed them, well, I don't feed the birds in the in the summer though, not that early. So Well, I'm just saying if, you know, since this is a dicey proposition, right. um, right. you know, let the birds have it. Um Right. right. You know, and if they hang around your house, you may have little elderberry sprouts um coming up. You know, my, my intention was to make a syrup with the elderberries for the, you know, like they make like the cough syrups with the elderberry. And that was my initial intention. But I didn't know that they were 
potentially toxic. So a uh, a physician, I believe, from Africa, working in research in Israel, perfected uh, the Sambucol um, syrup. Mm-hmm. Which, which is not a cough syrup, it's a true antiviral. So these plants, uh, these berries, have tremendous medicinal potential. But this yeah. is, you know, there's danger involved. Obviously, sure. with ripe fruit and with the seeds removed, then I think you'd be going. Um, my good friend, the late Dr. Jim Duke, who was... Uh, at the USDA, he was the head medicinal plant expert. Um, he said, uh, you know, if processed elderberry is good for you, um, the raw berry would be even better. I don't think Jim knew about the cyanide. No. <laughs> oh, did I forget to mention that? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, thanks for all your information and help. Yes, and to everybody else out there, there are quite a few plants that look like elderberry. It has quite a few imposters out there. But again, I'm almost sure this website is Wholesome Children. And if it's not, I'll correct myself next week. Um, but okay. she has everything. She has pictures of the lookalike plants, the mm. different, oh, different types of elderberry. Great. And if you do research, um, you may find a couple of recipes for, you know, safely making syrup. Although the most prominent recipes I've seen are jams and jellies. And there uh-huh. would there would be no difference. I mean, they would be antiviral as well. I've actually gotten a couple kits from Mother Earth News to make a, an elderberry syrup. And it's it's dried elderberries, and then it has a few other ingredients in it, but they actually, it actually, I mean, I drink it. It works pretty good. It seems to. Okay. Um, for the winter, and so. you've removed the seeds and everything? Yes. Yeah, put it through a sieve. Okay. Yep, and boil it for quite a while, and then put it through a sieve. Sounds perfect. Yep. All right. So colds and flu will be yours no more. I hope not. Thank you. It's not. a fascinating plant with an amazing medical history. All right. Well, thanks for asking, Matt. Thank you, sir. All right. You take care. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Okay, it is time for our special feature for audio listeners only. If you're listening on the podcast or to the podcast or of the podcast, or if you're listening on your local radio station, 
we have a special treat for you that is not included in the TV version. Uh, generally, it's going to be stories from the news uh, that I think we all will find interesting. But today's date, the date that the show drops, which is Saturday, January 21st, is the beginning of the Lunar New Year, sometimes called the Chinese New Year. It is actually celebrated all throughout Asia. And it is a chance for you to get more luck into the next year because that's what the celebration is all about. It's getting rid of old business, old evils, and starting the new year fresh. And luckily, it goes on for four or five days. So if you can't get it together tonight, you can celebrate it any day over the coming half week. Now, uh, when I was a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Daily News back in the, in the 70s and early 80s, I would do a Chinese New Year story every year. And I really learned so much about this fabulous occasion. So here's the story. If you want to celebrate Chinese Lunar New Year correctly, um, you clean the house. You start by cleaning the house top to bottom. And then you make sure to sweep the dirt out the doorway into the street. That dirt is all the evils, all the demons, all the bad luck you may have experienced in the previous year. You're getting rid of it. You're expelling it. Then if you want to go for the gold, you put on all new clothes, socks, underwear, shirts, pants, dresses, everything brand new. And then you consume a traditional Lunar New Year dish, which can consist of many things. Now, I apologize for our listeners who are vegetarians, but a component of almost all these dishes is some form of pork. Why? Because a pig always roots forward always going forward, which is what you want to do in the new year. You think of cows, they just stand there. They just wander around. They don't know where they're going, what they're doing. But the pig is always moving forward. In addition, all of the side dishes should be colored gold, silver, or red. Gold and silver, of course, uh, for financial good luck in the new year, and red for good health. When I have my Lunar New Year dinner tonight, I will have some nice sustainably raised ham and beets, red beets and golden beets. So I've got the dish covered. And again, this is something you can do anytime over the next couple of days. And if you're curious, this is the year of the rabbit. 
So you can go online and look up and see if you're a rabbit. Instead of your actual birthday, it corresponds to your birth year. Next year, I'm going to throw out the works. I'm going to set off fireworks. I'm going to do everything because next year is my year, the year of the dragon. And I will celebrate the Lunar New Year in style. But remember, clean out your house, put on new clothes, have a dish that reflects moving forward, financial health and physical health, and maybe you'll be a better gardener this year. It couldn't hurt. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and inform all of you that the Lunar New Year, also known as Chinese New Year, begins on Sunday, January 22nd, making Saturday the 21st, or today for many of you, Lunar New Year's Eve. So if you weren't satisfied with Dick Clark's rockin' New Year's Eve, you have a second chance. I'm your New Year's lunar baby, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, peas are the ultimate crop of spring. And they're going to be really important this year with produce prices soaring. So we're going to teach you how to grow three different kinds of peas. Isn't that fun? We have a couple of special guests uh, the potters, what would you call you? The, the hosts of a podcast called The Field Guide. Um, Bill is the guy in uh, the Minnesota shirt, and Steve is the guy with the hat. And uh, they have some interesting information that may, they may be able to learn me something about the dreaded black walnut tree. So... Uh, just to give people an idea of, of what we do, our podcast, The Field Guides, we pick a natural history topic, and then we look into recent research on that topic. And then we go out to a, a natural spot and record ourselves talking about what we learned and, and also trying to make some jokes and, and make it enjoyable. But we often get ideas from listeners, and a listener sent in to us the idea of looking into black walnut 
and in gardening circles and in you know tree people circles, black walnut has been known uh, to be harmful to other plants growing in its vicinity. And it's just always kind of been accepted as gospel. And this email said, you know, look into that and it may not really be what people have always thought. That piqued my interest immediately. Uh, Steve and I, we both uh, are of a skeptical nature. So we enjoy taking things, especially that we've always accepted as gospel and diving into it to see, is this actually true or not? And that email led us on the path that led to an episode we did on black walnut and whether it really is harmful to other plants. To be to be completely honest, uh, Bill was the one that did the, the vast majority of the research for this episode. So I'll jump in <laughs> here and there. But uh, but for the most part, I'm going to let Bill uh, lead the talk on this one. So right now, you're just a pretty face. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying. <laughs> Steve, Steve's the talent. So mm, tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me what you learned first. Um, it has been accepted that um, you know the every part of the black walnut tree, but especially the roots contains a, a material called juglone that is allopathic, allopathic. I can never tell which <laughs> is a doctor and which is a, a plant killer. But it has been long accepted that they are tomato kryptonite. Is that, um, is that still the case? Or are you uh, doubting Bill's and Steve's? <laughs> well, I, I think we're definitely doubting Bill and Steve's. And you know, like most things with in the natural world, it's hard to give a definitive answer. But what we often find in the topics that we research is the stories often aren't as simple as they're first presented. And we often find that the real story is more nuanced and it's more interesting. So we're gonna go back a ways, because I'll tell you that most of the articles or publications that talk about black walnut and its toxicity, almost all of them refer to the fact that Black walnut's toxicity has been known since the first century. Uh, the Roman writer, Pliny the Elder, he's often quoted as saying, uh, black walnut is poisonous to all the plants within its compass. Poor Pliny is not here to defend himself, you know. He is not, he is not. But uh, I think that's good reason to give us pause um, and maybe not use that as, as your main source. But, you know, after him and, and probably until the 20th century, that was accepted, that uh, black walnut was poisonous. And it was mostly uh, stories that people told of seeing that plants wouldn't, certain plants wouldn't do well under black walnut. And my question kind of reading through the research is why are people planting tomatoes under black walnut trees? Because <laughs> we got no place else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Desperation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in the 20s, that's when researchers started looking into it. Uh, there was three researchers that really started to notice that tomatoes and apple trees especially weren't doing well under black walnut trees. And there was one researcher from Virginia, his name was A.B. Massey, and he wrote about how he noticed in his garden that certain tomato plants, parts of the plant were wilting. So what this guy did is he dug down into the soil and he reported that every, every wilting tomato plant that had part of it wilting part of their roots were touching a black walnut root. Right. Um, I love to imagine this guy's wife coming home and finding holes all over his backyard and him trying to explain the black walnut is killing the tomato plants. Uh, but that's, but a, that's a eureka moment. <laughs> but 
again, that's observational science. So they assumed that what it, that's what it must be. But in the late 20s, there was a bit of a backlash. Some researchers actually came out and said, you know, the, the trees that they're saying are walnuts, those aren't even walnut trees. Now it's, it's hard to determine 100 years later if that's actually accurate. But for the next 20 years or so, until about the 50s, there was this kind of this back and forth of um, Massey and the researchers saying, no, black walnut's toxic. And then researchers on the other side saying, maybe not. And they would often have photos from farmers saying, look, I have black walnuts and things are growing fine under and around them. So in the, in the late 40s, uh, the USDA actually came out and with a publication saying, black walnut is harmless. Um, it has not been proven conclusively, but like most good stories, it refused to die. <laughs> and a lot of people just ignored that. And in the 50s, they started to do research into Juclone. And that research, some of it did show that, yes, Juclone does have toxic effects on plants. The Juclone is just the precursor. Shouldn't they be testing um, this super hydro... Uh, semi-hemi uh, juglone that uh, happens underneath the soil. So to, to be clear, hydrojuglone is the precursor. That's what's in. Oh, right. That's walnut. in the tree. Right. And then juglone is the product that, that comes out. So I don't know of any tests that have been done on, on hydrojuglone. This has all been, everything we saw was just looking at juglone because that's what um, ends up in the soil eventually. All right, guys, you've been great. Uh, thank you so much for a stimulating conversation that leads us to actually nowhere. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> but those are the, those are the most fun. I listened to a couple of your podcasts. You're great guys. Oh, um, thanks. Steve actually speaks on them, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he does. Well, I'll speak. You know, usually there's a lot of you know a lot of time to throw in little things here and there. But Bill and I kind of switch uh, who does the research for any given article. So right. it's kind of it's kind of fun because, uh, you know, Bill has one style and I have one style. And, and you know, when it's when it's his turn to do one, I'll be jumping in with a bunch of stuff. And when it's his turn uh, or when it's my turn, he'll be jumping into mine with a bunch of stuff. And it's, it's always kind of fun to see uh, the directions we take it. And you guys are fun. And the podcast Thanks. is called The Field Guides. And Correct. I found it right away without knowing anything else. So it's out there. Thanks very much for being with us today. It was fun. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you. us. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Darlene, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Darlene. How are you today? I'm just doing wonderful. What about you? I am Ducky. I would move Ducky around, but Ducky has a new playmate. If you remember the Jolly Green Giant, this is his little yeah. brother or cousin, Sprout, which was a gift to me by our sound guy over the holidays. And Sprout will be a regular on the show. As we say elsewhere, oh. yeah, as we say elsewhere in the show, he really wanted to get me the Jolly Green Giant, but we couldn't fit him in the studio. Oh, my goodness. Well, my grandkids are going to be so, so excited to see a new addition to the program. That's right. <laughs> they love watch. They love watching you. Yeah, well, I'm just a kid at heart. Um, I you wish, sure are. I wish I was a kid in age. That's you know, the problem now. All right, Darlene, what can we do you for? 
Okay. Well, I did send some pictures over. I have a very small uh, dappled willow that I planted last May. And I noticed that the trunk down at the bottom, uh, right above where it's planted, has a split in it. Yes. And it's concerning to me. So okay. I did put a heavy bed of my compost that you taught me how to do uh, around it this past fall. But I, I just was concerned and I thought, ooh, I, I want to call and ask the expert. What do you think? What, what would have happened to make that split? Okay, and you also sent us a picture of another tree. Uh, I only see the I did. base. Is it a dogwood or magnolia? It's a it's it's a twenty year old Kwanzan cherry tree. Oh, okay. And and the bark is kind of getting pulling away from the the tree mm -hmm. and i have that hole which i would say is about like an inch and a half deep oh that's nothing so it's nothing no that's oh, the, oh, that, that's so the sign of that. an aging tree now let's start okay. with the willow although okay. it is generally a good idea to give a plant that you're worried about a little bit of extra compost it was either planted too deeply to begin with or has settled. Oh. So we can't see any sign of the root flare. This is a popsicle stick in the ground. Right. And that could mm -hmm. well have caused the crack. So what you want to do ah. is carefully move all of the soil and compost away from there until you can see the root flare, you know, where the tree meets the root system. And that, okay. that's really all you should do, do. I know it's counterintuitive, but trees with the root flare showing are the last trees to fall over in storms and stuff like that. Trees that look like okay. popsicle sticks um, are the first ones to go because they're, they're slowly dying. The roots, believe it or not, need air. So if you okay. start out with the top of the root system exposed, the tree will be naturally healthier than a tree um, where you can't see any part of the roots. Now, okay. now on to the cherry tree, and we see the mm -hmm. same problem, right? We don't mm -hmm. see any root flare. Now, I can see no. I can see by the flowers behind the tree, however, that it looks like it bloomed wonderfully uh, last year. It, it has. I, I don't have any problem with the tree itself. It just started that, uh, you know, pulling the, the, the bark, pulling away from the tree a little, and then also, um, as I said, developing that hole. And I thought, is it from the nasty... Uh, mulch that I used to put on it, did that affect it somehow? Oh, it didn't help um, it. I, yeah, well, I've changed my ways, Mike. You've, Good. you've, you've trained me well. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a so you, there are many reasons that trees develop uh, splits and um, um, I, don't, I don't know what you'd call the cherry, like uh, a lesion in the bark. Yes. But a lot of it okay. has... 
a lot of it has to do with freeze-thaw cycles. Um, mm -hmm. You know, okay. the, the trees get absolutely frozen. And then the next day, as we experienced a few weeks ago, it's 70 degrees. This is what exactly. I this is what I call pneumonia weather. Um, now, I don't want you to do anything to try to correct the splits, but anything you can do to move the compost away uh, from the actual trunk of the tree uh, will be beneficial. Okay. And don't okay. worry about the beneficial effects of the compost. You have to realize there are no real active roots right up against the trunk. The roots go out underground at least as far as the canopy does overhead. So that's where the compost okay. does the most good so that when it rains, the resulting ah. compost tea goes right down to the root system. So, yeah. But don't fall for anybody who wants to patch it or do anything like that. And keep a close eye on the reaction of the trees in springtime. If you fail, okay. if you fail to get a nice leaf out and flowering, then two things could be happening. Um, one, the tree is still under stress, or we had a late freeze. You know, there have been years yeah. where the cherry blossoms yep. have just been blown apart. You, you, well, you know, you closed your eyes for five minutes and you missed it. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Okay, but this, okay, is a, well, this is a real easy solution. Very good. Let me just ask you one more question. On that dappled willow, so, you know, with it being so small, I got one of those expandable wraps that I put around, as you say, the popsicle stick, to, so I wouldn't have um, deer, uh, you know, brushing it with their horns and mm -hmm. really destroying it. That wouldn't have hindered that at all. Not if it was loose. You don't want to. Okay, it is loose. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, it expands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fine. And a deer rubbing their antlers against trees in the springtime can harm plants. So just we, make we sure. We had one destroyed by it. Yeah, yeah, everybody has. Just make sure that it's stretchable and it's not compressing the trunk. Okay? Okay, very good. All right. All right. So. I appreciate that wisdom, and I'm going to go to it. Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, wait a minute. I never asked you where you were, didn't I? I don't think we covered that. We uh, we didn't. Where I'm are you? From Bethel. I'm from Bethel, Pennsylvania. So I'm right near the Lebanon County line. I'm still in Berks County, mm -hmm. but I'm very close to the Lebanon County line. All right. All right. Well, again, good luck to you, and thanks for calling, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody still facing the potential of snow and ice that rock salt may be the worst ice melt product to use. It's a plant, lawn, and concrete killer, and it doesn't work at extremely low temperatures. My choice of alternative ice melts is calcium chloride. It melts ice at very low temperatures and is much more environmentally friendly. I'm always environmentally friendly, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, which is about all kinds of springtime peas. One of the earliest crops you can grow, one of the most fun, one of the crops that kids enjoy getting in on, and it'll save you a lot of money with these produce prices rising rapidly. But first, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Sean, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. How you doing? I'm just ducky, Sean. How are you? Well, I guess I'm ducky too, aren't I? Oh, well, you have to have your own duck for that, pal. You know. I have two. You have two ducks. Well, you're duckier than I then. I've been defeated. Now, now they'll let me out of this studio. <laughs> Where are you, Double Ducky Sean? I'm in Nazareth, PA. Oh, not too far from us. Martin Guitar is in your vicinity, right? Yes, it is. It's actually just up the road from me. Oh, what a fabulous thing to have in your area. All right, well, we can't talk about guitars. What can we do for Sean? All righty, so I have your compost book, right? Okay. And I'm just starting. I just did my first batch of shredded leaves. Like my first full attempt to do compost, right? And I, what I did before is I would blend it up with my weed whacker in a garbage can. Oh, uh, okay. But I just got, I just got a leaf mulcher for Christmas. Excellent. And I used it to finish up what I hadn't already. And the chunks from the mulcher are, I don't know, I guess ten times bigger. It's about the size of my palm ish. Um, but when I blended it with the weed whacker, they got really small. So my question, I suppose, is can you get it too small? Is there a, a Goldilocks zone? No, absolutely not. Um, one of the rules in compost is the smaller the raw material, the quicker it will become finished compost. So, um, you know, if you think about it, if you've got leaf particles that are really tiny, I mean, they, they are almost compost already. All they need, and they've got all this surface area to interact with the uh, nitrogen in your pile. So, you know, when you buy a, a leaf blower slash vacuum, um, one of the things you should look for is the mulching ratio. For instance, the lowest I've seen is 12. That means you could take 10 bags of uh, 12 bags of whole leaves, shred them through the mulcher, and they would fill up one bag. But there are also ones out there that have a mulching ratio of 20 to 1. So you could literally dump 20 bags of whole leaves on the ground and put the result into one bag. I did this on the Today Show one year. It took the whole show. Every time we went to commercial, I was sucking up another bag. Um, so I don't know. Do you know what your mulching ratio is? Uh, yeah, it says it's 16 to 1. 
Okay, so that's, that's a good kind midway. of that's kind of in the middle. And um, I've heard about the string trimmer in the trash can, which sounds very exciting to me. Was that uh, was that okay for you in, in your personal sense? There wasn't. Uh, I presume you wore eye protection, and was it was it easy to do? Well, uh, not at first. I wore <laughs> eye protection. Uh, it it was uh, only once a piece of the weed whacker line. <laughs> uh, it came close, so I was like, "All right, eye protection time." Yes, exactly. Um, Men always yeah, read the directions afterwards. <laughs> that's it's just that's how it works. It's how life works. Well, I think you're um, you're on and. Uh, are you cool with continuing uh, the string trimmer? Um, I mean, yeah, I'll probably mulch with the uh, leaf mulcher, and then uh, I'll probably finish it up with a weed whacker. That uh, is an excellent idea. But if you're getting uncomfortable with the trash can and the the line trimmer, um, a lot of people will suck up their leaves uh, into the collection bag, shredded, and then they'll pour them out and they'll shred them again, and that's where you get the oh, real—that's yeah. where you get the real money shot. Okay. All right. So, so but with—and this is true of everything you put into your compost pile. The smaller the particle, the faster it will make compost, and the better quality it will be. This is one of the ways you make really hot compost really fast okay all right man okay yeah well a, a related question to my ducks ironically um i know that the chickens digging through it is fine because they add the nitrogen um is it the same for ducks i don't think ducks uh root the way chickens do do they well they they, they pitter patter but they certainly poop everywhere oh well duck poop is great do you have a little kitty pond for them uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually, it's a little bigger than most of those sort of, I don't know, four inch tall ones you see at the store. Well, when you want to, um, clean it out, uh, pour buckets of the poopy water onto your compost piles if they're dry and around your plants. No, uh, that's a great natural source of nitrogen. Awesome. All right. You take care. Thanks for calling. Like Thanos, it is inevitable. The question of the week, which is not so much a question as a continuation of our instructions for a happy and profitable garden this year while outside produce prices go through the roof. This week, peas, please. They're the perfect cool weather crop. And that's part two of our organic solution to produce price inflation. Peas are my favorite cool weather crop. Crunchy, deliciously sweet, fun to grow, and kids love them. My pair of hooligans loved snow peas so much growing up that there was little picking for me to do, although they'd let me have a few every once in a while. Anyway, all types are cool weather lovers. They are often called June peas because the vines typically shrivel up and die in early July's heat. 
Peas are one of the few crops that like a sweet soil, which means slightly on the alkaline side. So dusting a little ash from a hardwood stove in their planting lanes is a great idea, especially if you live in a climate that generally has acidic soil. All peas also have the ability to, quote, fix nitrogen from the air by way of a symbiotic relationship between their root system and specific strains of bacteria, providing free nitrogen to the plants for fast, strong growth. The right type of bacteria may already be in your garden, but using a fresh helping of, quote, pea and bean inoculant will greatly improve your harvest. This inoculant is widely available at independent garden centers and via seed catalogs and online. It generally comes in the form of a freeze-dried powder containing a bacterium specific to peas and beans. Now, the timing of pea planting is crucial. The average days to maturity of most pea varieties is around 60 days. So you want to time your plantings to produce their first flush of sugary goodness around June 1st. That makes early April the ideal time to plant. Note, despite what you avoid, it may not be lucky to plant your peas on St. Patrick's Day if you live in a mid-Atlantic or cooler type of climate as St. Pat's Feast Day falls on March 17th this year, and the soil may not be warm enough to allow that fabulous nitrogen fixation. It may even be frozen solid. Better to wait until April 1st, unless you want to risk being a fool. Types of peas. Snow peas, a favorite ingredient in salads and Chinese dishes that include mixed vegetables. You eat the slender treats, pod and all. Pick early and often. Don't let the seeds swell up inside the pod. And if you miss a few big ones, don't worry. Just zip the pods open and eat the tasty peas inside. Early and frequent picking maximizes the flavor and increases the yield. Snap peas, a southern favorite. These are a bit larger than snow peas, but are still typically eaten pot and all after you snap off the top. Again, pick early and often. If a few get too big, just eat the peas inside as the pods start to get tough after too much time on the plant. And finally, we get to English shelling peas. These are left on the vine until the peas inside swell up nicely. Then you zip open the pod and eat the tender and sweet peas inside. They taste great raw, but a springtime tradition is to cook them up with spring onions, scallions with a small bulb underground. Generally served as a soup, you'll find hundreds of recipes online. Note, the heavily scented flowering plant commonly known as sweet pea is not edible. In fact, it is poisonous. Unfortunately, it also has some botanical features that resemble true pea plants. 
all real peas are edible, but ornamental sweet pea flowers are not. Now, best as I know, all pea vines are, quote, self-supporting. Give them something to climb on, and their talented tendrils will take care of the rest. But how high does this support need to be? Dwarf snow peas, also known as bush snow peas, can be very tidy, depending on the variety. Even the shortest plants will produce full-size pods, and the shorter the plant, the easier it will be for kids to reach those priceless prizes. Examine seed packets and catalog descriptions carefully, looking for the final height of the plant. If that information is not there, search the variety name at other sources. If all else fails, turn to Google. Search for, quote, final height of your variety name, P. The same is true of snap and shelling peas. If the plant is supposed to get tall, you have to grow it against fencing or purchase a real trellis, which you'll also use for pole beans. After the peas are fried, then you'll use them for peas and beans the next year. Don't worry, they'll amortize. True dwarf or bush varieties can get by with those tiny little old-school tomato cages, but some shelling pea varieties need a really tall trellis. No matter what the type, pre-sprout your peas by soaking them in water overnight and then wrap them in moist paper towels. Place the towels in a Ziploc bag, but don't zip it. Just leave the open bags out at room temperature. Check them daily to make sure the peas inside are moist, but not sopping wet. Mist them if they are dry. When you see wiggly little sprouts appear, it is go time. Dig out lanes in a shape that will accommodate your trellises. Dust some wood ash into the lanes. Roll the damp seeds around in the P&B inoculant and drop them into the lanes a few inches apart. You can add more inoculant on top, but be sure to save some for your bean crops. Refill the lanes with the soil you removed, then spread an inch of quality compost over top for good luck. Don't add any nitrogen-rich fertilizer. You can let the atmosphere handle that. Well, that sure was some timely advice about pea planting, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or, of course, your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to poach my pods if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime. You really can. 888-492-9444. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched email refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. 
Please include your location or you'll make me so sad. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly and strongly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a mad doctor combined DNA from a Brandywine tomato with DNA from Soupy Sales. Ken Queter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your fabulous garden photos so we can paste them. Paste them? Post them. Well, maybe it's kind of cut and paste, too. Anyway, we'll put them up at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris as the Beaver and Zach the Tack as Eddie Haskell. The rest of our beloved band of carnies, fortune tellers, and card sharks are currently assisting the authorities with their inquiries. Our CEO, Grand Poobah, and belly dancer in training is Tim I'm your pea-planning host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be playing with my seed packets until I can see you again next week.